Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nothing is Real, a Beatles podcast, is powered by Acast. Welcome to Nothing is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. If you were a Beatles fan at the end of 1970, there was four potential solo albums that you could have gotten in your Christmas stocking that year, which might have somewhat softened the blow of the the group's demise announced earlier in 1970. Uh, As we talk today, it's 50 years since all these albums came out, and we're going to look at some of them across uh, this season of Nothing Is Real. And today we're going to talk about John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band, uh, the first proper, in inverted commas, album uh, from John Lennon. Do you like Plastic Ono Band, Stephen? I do like Plastic Ono Band. I like it. I don't love it. Yeah. I think that's that's maybe a... I know people regard this as, as one of the best uh, solo albums. Um, I think it's a good album. I enjoy, it, It's not an album that I really sit down and listen to all the way through. Um, yeah. I would cherry pick some songs from it. But uh, it's not an easy listen. No, it's not an easy listen. And I think the creators of it would kind of say as well, it's it's not an easy listen. But uh, it's interesting that even after 50 years, the the uh, the unease that you can hear from the album is still palpable. And that's a credit to its makers, really. I think I, I think that's that's absolutely right. Uh, I mean, I think as a as a sort of snapshot of where Lennon was at the time, where his head was at, man. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, th- I think it's a very powerful statement. But it's it, I, I would query whether you would listen to it for pleasure. Yeah, and it's it, you know it, it, this this notion that they all had solo albums out by the end of 1970. Uh, you know, obviously, you and me are way too young to have realised what that was like, but. You know, it, I'm wondering which of them, you know, John, Paul, George, Ringo, which one of them delivered an album that was true to type, you know? And uh, were people mm. kind of expecting John to do this kind of thing? Because, you know, you kind of look at his whole year. There's a, there's a lot going on. There is. I mean, uh, you know, what, what we've had to date are the uh, sort of three experimental albums which uh, he did with Yoko you've got this li- the live piece in Toronto he's had singles with Give Peace a Chance and Cold Turkey I suppose Cold Turkey is maybe the closest mm. in, in feel uh, to, to, to what's happening on Plastic Owner Band then you have Instant Karma at the beginning of the year a lot more commercial um, it's a sort of bona fide pop hit yeah. I suppose Um but I, I'm not sure that any of those really give much of a hint as to what's coming. Yeah, I, I always sort of felt that, you know, Cold Turkey is to Plastic Ona Band as Instant Karma is to Imagine. You know, it's kind of like yeah. one kind of 
sharp, brutal thing followed by one kind of more poppy thing. Um, even though, you know, you, you'd sometimes lose looking back that there's a year between Cold Turkey and Plastic on a Band. I think, I think that's it. You, 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 you tend to think of these things just tumbling into each other. Yeah. And I suppose in, in a way, there's so much happening in 69 and 70 uh, across all four of them and, and, and the sort of the split and the court case and the infighting. And the, meanwhile, as you say, they're all producing their own uh, solo output. Yeah. So let's start by rewinding back to January 1970, because the, the seeds are all there. And we've done an episode back in season one about January 1970. It's one of these kind of very curious moments in time mm. where the Beatles are falling apart. But right at the start of the month, Paul, George and Ringo go into Abbey Road and they record the last brand new Beatles song, which is I Me Mine, because it's needed for the Let It Be slash Get Back soundtrack. And they they tinker with the Let It Be single. Um, but they are there without John, because right at the start of the year, John is in Denmark. Denmark, yeah. And what's he doing in Denmark? He's uh, Yoko's ex-husband, Tony Cox, is in Denmark and um, they're visiting him. And all the, one of the sort of background features to the the sort of late 60s, early 70s, is this estrangement between Yoko and her former husband and their daughter, Mm. Kyoko. And that will sort of spill over into the early 70s where John and Yoko are trying to, in some cases, actually locate yeah. Uh, the husband, the husband, you know, he he keeps disappearing with the daughter, um, but they they are ostensibly reaching out uh, to her husband to try and uh, I, I suppose establish a relationship uh, with Yoko's daughter. And it's in Denmark that he they shave off all their hair. Yeah, I mean that this is <laughs> this is a very stri- I guess. Uh, yeah, sort of. I, they, you, you know, uh, Lennon has uh, they have been extremely high profile. Uh, in 69 they're running their peace campaign um one of the things that that is very striking at that time is they 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 sort of look identical they have they both have very long hair they're dressing in white this becomes a sort of a a, a trademark yeah. and then suddenly at the start of 1970 they just virtually uh shave their head i mean it's a very very short cropped haircut they donate the hair uh, <laughs> to to uh, a, a sort of a, a, an organisation in London, you know, for charity. They're standing on the roof of Apple, handing hair over in a bag. I think they auctioned it. I'm not sure. Perhaps someone out there has a bag of hair. A bit of hair. It's a very a 1969 kind of piece yeah. vibe. It's it's interesting how they're kind of you know you see the start of 1970. Those things start to drift away. Yes. I mean, one of the, if you remember back to the bed in, they have hair piece and this idea of grow your hair for peace. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly they, they're, they're appearing, you know, very, very short haircut. You can see it in the instant karma, uh, uh video, video yeah. um, from, from, from top of the pops. Um, the, the piece, uh, the peace campaign is still going on at this stage. They declare 1970 as being year one for peace. Um, but it's not, Instant karma aside, it's not perhaps a very good start to the year for them. They're, um, uh, they they had this lithograph uh, exhibition that Lennon has. It's uh, raided by the police on yeah. the grounds of obscenity. So you have that sort of hanging over them for the for the start of the year. He's involved in trying to set up something called the uh, Peace Festival in Toronto, um, which is really capitalizing on the 1969 live Peace in Toronto album. Um, that grinds 
into a sort of runs into the sand as a very sort of ignominious failure. It sort of starts to fall apart. There's uh, Lenin starts falling out with the organizers. I think one of the things they suggested was they'd invented a car, a flying car that ran on psychic energy, and they would quite like John and Yoko to arrive. It doesn't need any fuel, man. Yeah. Um, so it all, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's all part of that, I suppose, shift from the late 60s love and peace and yeah. into that sort of more cynical 1970s paranoia. Yeah. Um, think that you know the, the the Canadian police are are monitoring Lennon at this stage. It subsequently uh, transpires, you know, but whereas he'd always uh, sort of felt Canada was a bit of a refuge, yes, for him and very welcoming. Um, so it it is, and it it's interesting to think is is the cutting of the hair some kind of subconscious symbolism as mm. well? Well, they do. I mean, the the one good thing about that. Uh, Copenhagen trip is even though Lenin isn't around to meet up with the other three and maybe that might have meant something different he comes back mm. with the notion of karma in his pocket and he develops this song Instant Karma and the story of Instant Karma is written in a day recorded in a day released as quickly as possible um, yeah. and that happens right at the end of January so we still have this great song uh, and he's around and you know they're spending the start of the year once they're back from Denmark they're based in London for those initial months of 1970. That's right. That's right. And Instant Karma is a phrase apparently Tony Cox's wife used. There you go. Uh, around the dinner table and Lennon just filed it away. Uh, as you do. Um, so uh, they're in London. You know, they're on Top of the Pops. They make that famous uh, appearance on Top of the Pops where they're doing Instant Karma. Um, but at the same time, in the background, the Beatle business is dragging out. Uh, I guess at some point it's realize that you know let it be has to happen uh paul is doing his secret solo album um yeah. specter only gets involved quite late around about march time on let it be but that's with the say so of the other three i.e john george and ringo so there's still beetle business going on in the background um and then at the end of march yoko announces she's pregnant is that right Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so it's 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 a very sort of busy, hectic time for them. So what happens to John next? He gets a book, doesn't he? He gets a book. Uh, so he gets this book from, from Arthur Janov uh, about primal scream therapy. And um, this, you know... I, I suppose the thing is Lennon never does anything by half measure. So if it's if it's the Maharishi or it's a peace campaign or um, you know whatever it is he's doing, he throws himself into this uh, absolutely wholeheartedly. This book sort of grabs his attention, um, and he just picks it up and runs with it. Um, so the next thing we have. Arthur Janov, who's written this book, arrives in London on the 31st of March, sets up a temporary office in London, and suddenly John and Yoko are involved in this primal scream therapy. And primal scream therapy, or primal therapy, or whatever you want to call it, mm. is, uh, you know, it's a new thing. It's it's really only in the previous, uh, I think in the previous year that Janov has kind of given it a name, and he's only been working on it for about two or three years. And it's, uh, it's sort of a... a it's very experimental. It's an experimental psychotherapy model. It is. And I mean, I suppose sitting here in 
2020, looking back, you can think, well, this is just another West Coast American faddish. Yes, we can think that. <laughs> you know, uh, psychological mumbo jumbo, let's say. Um, but, you know, tears for fears, uh, you know, they, 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 they got, it, came from there. They, they they got you know they they picked that up and ran with it as well um and also the band primal scream who there you go yeah i'm not a fan you're not a fan not a fan. okay <laughs> so so i mean I, I i'm not i don't think either of us are, are are probably qualified to go into the um uh you you know the detail of of what primal scrims therapy much less criticize it but um oh, really <laughs> but let's but let's but let's do that anyway yeah um so the the idea seems to be you can relate all of your uh problems all of your your adult psychoses back to uh traumatic events that happened in your childhood and if you recreate the sort of experience of relive the experience of your own birth you can sort of wipe the slate clean and and start again. So it's a, it's a, it's a I suppose it's a sophisticated take on the uh, it's all your parents' fault. It is a version of it's all your parents' fault, and I think cometh the you know cometh the hour. If you think about what was happening at the times, mm. it it seems like almost a perfect type of uh, psychotherapy for the times, because you know you're, you're kind of piggybacking on a group of people who. Uh, you know, John in particular, you know, was using LSD in, you know, a few years previously. There's an awful lot of that that's related to childhood and regressing and looking backwards. And it feels that, you know, the only reason we're talking about primal therapy this year, currently, 50 years later, is because of these rock star associations. Certainly, there does not appear to be any strong scientific consensus that it is an amazing incredible breakthrough form of psychotherapy if you if you kind of look at the the references for it i mean he went on to make a a decent career out of it but it's it's very much based on you know reflecting back the experiential discussions of the patient it's 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 interesting to to sort of speculate whether if lennon hadn't done this and hadn't made this album yeah would we still be talking about it um, no, I don't think we would because it's not. You know. It's not a. It's not a, a. It doesn't have a particular stakehold in hospital psychotherapy or hospital psychological medicine, as far as I I've can n- make out. I've never been tempted to. Um... <laughs> well, it's it's you know it's it's you you laugh about it being trendy at the time, but it it does work because it's basically telling the individual that they're special and this notion mm. that the sixties gave us, which still trickles through today, that you can be the curated self or that you yourself are particularly fascinating. Then this is yeah. a type of therapy that serves to um to uh to 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 feed that kind of ego message maybe am i being unfair no i think that's i think that's fair and you can see you know lennon himself has said you know sometimes i think i'm 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 the worst person in the world sometimes i think i'm a genius you can see how that would absolutely just tick that box um for him Uh, plus you have all those well-trodden stories about his relationship with his mother, with his aunt, with his father, you know, uh, all, all of that going on. So he's, he's sort of the ideal uh, candidate for this. I mean, he has a, a known story about his upbringing, mm. which is a traumatic upbringing. I'm not making light of that yeah. at all. Um, but I have a quote here from uh, uh, Janoff, uh, which he says, um, you know, we should not lose track of the overarching truth feelings are their own validation we can quote and cite scientific studies all day long 
you know, <laughs> but the <laughs> ultimate truth lies in the experience of human beings and their ex- feelings explain so much that the statistical evidence is irrelevant. Alternative facts. It's a type of alternative facts, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about primal therapy, it, it, you know, when I was reading about it is that, uh, you know, this this term that Stephen Colbert termed, which is truthiness, you know, yeah. there's, there's a truthiness to it. You kind of think, yeah, I guess if I did sort out my childhood problems, I'd mm. feel better. I mean, that kind of seems like a reasonable thing to do, but whether shouting and screaming about them is the best way. I don't know. There, there are other kind of models. I'm also thinking of Mike Oldfield went through a thing, I think, called exogenesis, which was a very similar rebirthing process that uh, uh, changed his music in the late 70s. Perhaps we should, uh, for, for, for research, <laughs> we should uh, we should do this and then uh, start another podcast. Start, yes, exactly, which would be very screamy. But I'll tell you, do you know who else did uh, primal scream therapy? Uh, James Earl Jones. And do you know what he says it cured? What did it cure? It cured his hemorrhoids. Excellent. So that's uh, so it's not all bad, you know. So I, I, I'm 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 going to say I'll keep that in my back pocket. <laughs> well, that's a bit close. <laughs> uh, but you have uh, so Lenin in March gets this uh, primal therapy book, as you say, a bit like the Maharishi is immediately drawn into it. They get some sessions with the man himself in London and in Tittenhurst, but he yes. tries to say, "Listen, if you want to go the full kit and caboodle." Off you come to LA. Yes. So, I mean, uh, Janov actually talks about the fact that they were building the, the studio Ascot Sounds at uh, Tittenhurst, and this provided an ideal kind of soundproof um, venue mm. uh, for this. And uh, Lennon was actually in the middle of his therapy uh, whenever Paul phones him the night before the McCartney album goes out. Uh, for review uh, that set off a few screams i'd say uh, you know yeah calm down but i'm putting out this album here is the interview and i'm leaving the band so all this is happening uh but yes then they fly they they fly out on the 23rd of april to la and do we know specifically that paul told them the whole details of the press release or do you just say uh you just might notice something in the papers tomorrow see you chuck Uh, I think the story that I hear uh, is that sounded more like Scylla Black. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the story, the story that I've read is that he actually tells him, you know, I'm I'm leaving the band, I'm putting the album out, and this is this is, uh, and sort of, t- I'm putting out this press release. Okay, so is now, uh, I mean. Uh, whether that's whether that's strictly accurate, because you know you and I have talked about this before. That if you read that press release, yeah, he he doesn't actually say in that interview that goes out, "I am leaving the band." No, it's it's a bit it, it's a bit reversible. What yes, he says. now yes, I mean he has made previous statements hmm. uh, that that sort of went unnoticed um, about quitting the band or the Beatles won't record again and. But this is the press release that produces the Paul quits Beatles yeah. headline, and that's the, the, um, the line that a lot of people use. That's the date yeah. in the sound of the yeah. line the sound that people use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, just after that, April twenty third, John and Yoko fly off to LA for some proper B and B at Phil Spector's. This is very funny. This is very funny. <laughs> they go and they stay at Phil Spector's house, and um, Yoko was given an interview, and she said it was cold, it was damp. It was like a, and this is the quote, a crummy castle, <laughs> terrible food. And best of all, after they've left, he sends them a bill for breakfast. Amazing. 
what a guy. What a guy. And, you know, this leads into May 1970. So in the real world, the Phil Spector Let It Be is coming out. You know, Long and Winding Road is eventually, you know, number one that summer in the US. So the Beatles are still, although it's been announced that they are essentially over, they're still releasing new material and having material in the charts. And, you know, if you go back and look at those weeks between March to June, it's insanely busy with the overlapping stuff between the mm. four of them and john is kind of entering this therapy cycle in in the middle of all of it um and so do they spend the whole summer in primal therapy or how long are they there doing that well they're 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 they they have problems with visas yeah so again this is this becomes a feature of his stay in america ultimately sort of much later in in, in the decade but they have difficulties with visas. They're trying to get extensions for medical grounds. Ultimately, it, it it runs all the way up to the middle of September. But during this period, they're undertaking this uh, primal therapy. The visas start to expire. They're under threat of um, uh, sort of expulsion from the country. At one point, he tries to persuade Janov to shift the therapy to Mexico. Mm. You know, just relocate to Mexico to suit me. Um, there's, there's a, there's a sort of a falling out with Janov because Janov says, "Oh, one of the the key things here is to videotape this or to to film mm. the sessions." And this is the point at which Lennon suddenly thinks that's not happening. Yeah. You know, I, I'm John Lennon. You are not filming me rolling around the floor crying like a baby. I'm not having that. You know, obviously now if this he would have this up on his Instagram account and it would all be there. But but so so uh, there seems to be a sort of an ebb and flow to what's happening. Um, but also during this period, he starts to record demos. Yes. And he um, does. Uh, so which songs start to percolate through while he's in the States? Well, he 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 records several songs. I mean, "My Mommy's Dead" is one of them. Uh, "God" uh, is is uh, there's an embryonic version of that floating around, and uh, the the demo dating from the 26th of July seems to be the first occasion in which he uses the line "I don't believe in Beatles." Yeah. So, uh, so all of this is starting to coalesce around the same time that he's going through all this uh, psychotherapy and. Uh, Jan Wenner from Rolling Stone is also appearing as well, and he'll go on to play a, a role later in the year. Yes, I mean, I think uh, uh, John and Yoko's relationship with Jan Wenner is probably worth an episode in itself at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rolling Stone is, you know, very, very pro John. Mm. Um, Jan Wenner, you get the sense there's a little bit of, maybe more than a little bit of hero worship there. Um, uh, where in May they have flown to San Francisco and they they visited Rolling Stone's uh, offices. In August, Rolling Stone is reporting that uh, John has twenty new songs ready to go. He's going to go into the studio in the next couple of months. There's a new album on the way. So, uh, Rolling Stone very supportive. And then, as you say, later in the year we get this very famous uh, Lennon remembers, yeah, uh, interview, which ultimately when Wenner decides to put that out as a book that sort of splits fractures, them splits them up again. Yeah. yeah, because John does not want this out as a book. I think by that time the book is coming out, he probably realizes the interview 1970 was a particular time, a particular mindset, and it's not reflective necessarily of how he feels about things now or then. 
Okay. Um, and then at the end of July, sadly, Yoko miscarries. Yeah. And uh, this, I think, is her second miscarriage. It's her third, her, I think, miscarriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is obviously another traumatic and difficult time for them. And Cynthia Lennon remarries. She remarries at this time, almost at the same time, end of July. I wonder how much of that was on John's radar at the time. I suppose he would have had to have known it was happening. Um, yeah. We don't know. But they spend the summer in the States. And then, as you say, it's essentially a visa issue that sends them back in mid-September. Yes, yes. And uh, Janoff has said that Lenin shouldn't have quit or he shouldn't have left. This is this is, this is is my th- theory, or at least a theory that I subscribe to, is that, uh, you know, the idea about primal scream therapy, as I understand it, is it kind of breaks you down and then you begin the second stage of kind of building back up your self-esteem, this uh, this idea that you mentioned earlier, the curated self. Yeah. And, and what um, Janov says later is we had opened him up and we didn't have time to put him back together again. Yeah. So... It seems to me, I mean, one of the, I realize I'm going to alienate a huge amount of, of, of the listeners out there, but one, one of, one of the usual. things, as usual, one of the things that always strikes me is how steep the decline is in Lennon's output after 1971. So you get Plastic on a Band, you get Imagine, then you get Sometime in New York City, which I don't think is anyone's mm. favorite album. You get Mind Games, which is... Again, I don't think a great piece of work. You get walls and bridges. You get rock and roll. So his his it 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 really does. I'm not going to say it falls off a cliff, but you know you've got a great 14 track best of album yeah. of his career and not much else. So you're saying I can hear, I can hear the, oh you can hear I can hear people switch, switching what's off. What's the sound of a podcast being turned off? <laughs> um, you're saying it's diminishing returns, but is that? You you think that's related to him not I, I, closing I think, the door on his? I, yeah, I, I I think part of the part of I I think if you look back at at a lot of what he's he's you know like any artist I suppose he's using his own personal um, issues, mm. um, his emotional response to things to produce this kind of great art. And one of one of Lennon's great. Um, strengths is the ability to take something very personal, a very personal experience and sort of tease that out into something universal that you or I or some other listener can think, yes, I can I can empathize with that or that that mm-hmm. triggers something. So strawberry fields, for example. Yeah. You know, there's something there, you, you know, childhood experiences, very personal to him. It's a very odd song. It's a very odd lyric. But there's something in there that that everyone can sort of relate to or it it, it it it's it rings a bell or strikes a chord with people but it seems to me that after you get past 1970 yeah he he sort of loses that facility um that maybe he's worked through some things he's got you know they talk about it's the grit in the oyster that produces the pearl he's kind of got rid of those things but he hasn't really regained control of himself he hasn't gone through that second stage but is it just a question though uh and this 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 is the sound of the other half of uh, the listeners turning off which is that you know it's he he kind of makes this shift in the solo career about writing about himself often without metaphor really yeah and you know that is 
that is a well that you can you need some other wells that you can go into to get stuff out of and you know i'm not trying to turn it into a a paul versus john thing but i think you could argue that that was the thing that you know paul sometimes he could be writing something deeply personal or sometimes it could not and you might not be able to tell the difference whereas mm. with john you know he's literally you know his songs are very explicitly about himself and i think he perhaps forgets how to use the muscle of just writing an imaginary piece like a mr kite type song yeah i i i think one of the things is it ceases to be it ceases to ha- the, the work ceases to have that universal Mm. Uh, re- resonance yeah so particularly suddenly you get sometime in new york city which is is sort of reportage it it, it, it that that's yeah that, that's a different thing that's like a documentary uh style but then the the rest of his his output is pretty sparse for a start you, you know it's it's not very prolific but someone said you know a, a lot of these albums just consist of rather apologetic love songs <laughs> addressed to yoko yeah and they they could only be addressed to yoko yeah so uh you know when when george writes something or paul writes let's say my love um you know these are love songs but if if john writes i know i know your i assume i assume saying i'm sorry i mean it's clearly it's to yoko it's about his relationship with her and um, th- that universal resonance resonance starts to disappear, I think. But you know what? And I am a big fan of Double Fantasy. I think Double Fantasy pulls some of that back. I know we're heading a bit off track at the minute, but Double yeah. Fantasy, you know, it does have a song like, you know, Just Like Starting Over, which is kind of explicitly about himself, obviously. But I think that a song like that and also maybe Woman, you know, they are songs that you can extrapolate I, into your own life. They do have a, a universality or a basically a pop sensibility to them. Yeah, I think that's. I, 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 I think those are two good examples. I, I think those are two good examples. Beautiful boy as well. I suppose is 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 sort of anyone with children that that that's yeah. It's it's uh, yeah a beautiful boy and again it's about him but it could be about anyone but look yeah. let's rewind back to 1970 yes uh, and not 1980 um, so it's September 1970 15th their visas expire they come back uh, to London the as far as we know he doesn't connect with Janov ever again. Uh, once he comes back to London, there's no, there is no attempt to even I'm, go back I'm, to any of this. I'm, I'm not aware of of any reconnection yeah. at all. Yeah, and no. uh, you know what's interesting is you know Janov in 1970, he's 46 years old. Uh, he only died in 2017, Arthur Janov, and he did speak a lot about the the John and Yoko days. He certainly. Milked it? Is that what you're, the well, verb you're looking for? Yeah, it's the verb I was trying to avoid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what else is John to do except uh, the 26th of September? Uh, he goes in uh, between Abbey Road and Ascot Sound Studios to start recording the Plastic Ono Band tracks. And, you know, if you're keeping an eye on what's been happening this year, uh, you know, Paul already has McCartney out. Uh, Ringo mm-hmm. uh, already has a sentimental journey out way at the start of the year. Boku of Blues is, is on the way. George has started recording All Things Must Pass in May, although it's yeah. not out yet. I don't know if he heard any uh, of the sessions yet. But he is the last Beatle to get in the door uh, of a studio to record a full-on solo album. 
Yes. And uh, it starts on the 26th of September, and we're kind of looking at a, roughly a four-week period. You know, it's it's the end of October when the acetates are cut for the album. So it's pretty It's efficient. pretty quick. Yeah, it's quick. It's pretty quick. And so who are we talking about? Who are the key players on the album? Well, it's, I mean, essentially it's a trio. It's John, uh, it's Klaus Vorman on bass, Ringo on drums, and then Phil Spector and Billy Preston each play piano on one track. So yeah. it's 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 it's... You know, it's it's not a par trio, but it's it's a very stripped down yeah. set of uh, instrumentation. And Yoko is there as well. Um, on w- wind, she's credited with wind, <laughs> well, which which I suppose I suppose, I, I suppose that. yeah, I suppose it was intended to be a sort of you know like breeze. Yes, the, uh, the environment, on, the atmosphere. Uh, yes, but unfortunately, there's a double meaning there. So, and Spectre is uh, a bit of a Spectre, ho ho. Yeah, he's not really he's, there. He's not there at all. Um, <laughs> So uh, Spectre had obviously produced Instant Karma. Uh, he's, John asks him to co-produce this album, but he's, he's not there. Um, the, you know, this is the similar thing happens with George on All Things Must Pass. You know, Spectre is not present. And in fact, he doesn't uh, turn up until well into these sessions. And at one point, they actually have to put an ad in the paper saying, Phil, we're ready, exclamation yeah. mark, because they couldn't get in touch with him. Which is a bit embarrassing, really. Well, you know, um, Phil turns turns up on the 9th of October uh, for John's birthday. Okay. Well, that's he, a date we'll come back to in a moment. Yeah. Uh, let's rewind back because the, the, they start on the 26th of September. And the first song that they record is the first song on the album. And I guess as a, a mission statement, you know, Mother is everything that's been going on. In one song. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know you, you you have that theory about it's always very important to look at with the Beatles, the first song that they record for any a project, album, yeah. a project. And I, I think this is absolutely ties in with that. As you say, everything uh, that, that that is going on in his life, um, everything that is, is tumbling out because of primal therapy um, and everything that will else that will come on the album is sort of encapsulated in this this one song. Yeah. And it's, you know, it it starts off with that kind of low tolling bell. Um, and it's, I guess, you know, if you're back in that mindset of buying the record in 1970, you're kind of asking yourself, well, you know, could this be Beatles? Does this sound like the yeah. Beatles? Is this the Beatles? And, you know, 50% of the Beatles are there, plus the third guy is a Beatles confidant, but it's not really the Beatles. It's, it's, it's probably, you know, let's set Ringo's sentimental journey to one side, but leaving let's. that, <laughs> leaving, you're so cruel, but uh, leaving, leaving that to one side, you, you know, this is, this is probably as far away from the Beatles side, this particular yeah. song as, as you're going to get. Yeah. You, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really bear comparison with anything. Uh, you know, I, I've said elsewhere that you know all things must pass. George is is running away from the Beatles sound, and I think with this song, John is doing is running in a different direction. But he is. I think there are threads on Plastic Ono Band that just remind me of the White Album. Yes. If I'm looking for some kind of uh, antecedent, you know, recording, I think that's where it is. I, um, yeah. In terms and of I mean, some of the dryness of it and some of the corners that Lennon is looking around. Well, two things I would say is some of these songs date back to to yeah 
68. Um, but also for all that Plastic Owner Band is described as this raw, uh, rock, noisy, stripped down album, there, there, there are quite a few quiet, mm. introspective songs, quite beautiful songs. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not that we're, we're not listening to the Ramones and we're not listening to the Velvet Underground here. We're, we're, it's, it, it has that reputation, but it does have some really rather beautiful, delicate songs. Mother is not one of them. No, but I have to admit, like, I, I, when I was a, you know, a teenager and uh, trying to get into the Beatles and the solo Beatles, you know, I heard that Plastic in a Band is this primal scream therapy album. Yeah. yeah. And I expected, oh, okay, I guess it's full of screaming. And aside from kind of the, 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 the end screams at the end of Mother, which are very cathartic and shocking and striking um it's not as you say it's not like a ramones noise album to any degree and you know some of those songs do sound quite relaxed and if you're not listening to the lyrics you know they're they're kind of easy listening in a way you know yes 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 Um, um but yeah so mother is the the first thing that they record and you know we probably don't need to go into the ins and outs about what the song is about it's you know, it's basically to 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 both his parents. He he said it was about his parents, but also about ninety nine percent of parents alive or dead. Isn't that kind yes, of what he that's that 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 that's a he he played this live uh, yeah. at at the one to one concert uh, in New York. His only real sort of full live show, and uh, I mean it, it's 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 a sort of interesting choice to do live. You would think that yeah. it, it, I I have to say it's not a great version because it it lacks the drama of a sort of grand piano and the the ambience that that spectra brings to the studio production but you, you know and and how do you end a song like that live and if you listen to to the version on uh, live in new york city it it's it's a kind of slightly it sort of comes stuttering to an end. Well, it's, it's you know, yeah, I like uh, you listen to that live version, you're kind of thinking, was he backstage going, oh, I'll slip in that song, Mother? Yeah, that'll, yeah, uh, yeah. that'll get me in a, in, a, in a vibe. You know, it's so deeply specific and personal. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I can't imagine being in the crowd sort of elbowing each other going, oh, great, here we go. Yes, <laughs> this is the one. Yes, if you're playing John Lennon bingo, this is not the one that, that you want. But, I mean, he... he uh, you know, again, shades of Paul recording "Oh, Darling." You know, he's he overdubs the vocal. He he does more vocal takes on this. He he knows what he's going for. Yeah. Um, and at the time of talking uh, today, there is no Plastic Ono Band box set coming out that we were hoping for in uh, twenty twenty. No. Um, there is an alternate version of "Mother" on the nineteen ninety eight anthology. Yes, box. it's yes. got kind of a nice, kind of different guitar sound to it. Um, but maybe we'll be getting a, a plastic uh, owner band box set uh, some other day. It's I have to say that's ex- it's extremely disappointing because from what we know of these sessions, you know there are lots of alternate takes. Yeah, you have the demos that you can pick up on bootlegs. They they there's a lot of jamming in the studio on rock and roll oldies. Uh, you know there's a lot of material there, and I, I'm surprised and disappointed. Well, let's talk a little bit because there is a, a documentary out there, one of these classic album documentaries about the Plastic Ono Band record, and it's definitely worth seeking out. It's a fantastic yeah. hour. I believe it's on Amazon Prime in certain parts of the world. It and, is. Uh, it's kind of 
it's odd that the documentary exists because normally it's Imagine that gets all the documentaries and the kudos, but I'm kind of glad it exists, if only for Ringo being interviewed and being so absolutely fantastic in it. It's a good... Ring, yeah, Ringo is excellent on uh, on this, you know, he's he's... Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of says at the end, you know, you know, I don't mind talking about this record because it's great and I'm great on it and it's all good. And he knows, you know, he knows it's a special piece and he is fantastic on this album. He, it is probably, uh, it's probably his finest performance, recorded performance. And I mean, he makes a comment in that, in that documentary where he says, you know, I've been involved in lots of albums and lots of records, some of which I can't remember, some of which I'm not proud of, but this one um, was really something special. And you do get a sense from, from watching that and from listening to him and, and Klaus Vorman, who's being interviewed at the same time, that for all of the subject matter, that they had an absolute ball making this. Yeah, and you know we should give kudos to Klaus as well, who is a great bass player, but a very different bass player to Paul. Yeah. And if you take them as a rhythm section, uh, Klaus is exactly the right man for this album. He's not being, you know, we all have a fiddly Paul bassline, but he's being very straightforward. He's locked into the songs. He's in the groove when it needs be. And as a rhythm section, it's different to a true Beatles rhythm section. Yes, I mean he's not, you know. He's not showing off, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> like, that's a bad um, like it's a bad thing, you know. He's it's it's not. It's a very uh, uh, sparse style. Yeah. Um, Ringo's drumming similarly. It's not showy, but if you start to pay attention to it, if you start to try and focus on the drums, it's sensational. Yeah. And and it probably is. I would say. The, the sort of the pinnacle of of Ringo's career as a drummer. You know, you, you, you've talked about uh, how much you regret the fact that uh, Ringo sort of stopped being a drummer and became a vocalist. And, and yep. you, you know, the drumming on Abbey Road, the drumming on Plastic Ono Band is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then he suddenly sort of reverts back to, you know, I'm a singer, so that becomes his main thing. Yeah, his kind of all-round entertainer thing. And it's yeah, his life, yeah. he's, he's free to do that, you know, uh, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, his drumming is sensational, even when he's, you know, even up to modern day when he's appearing on, um, uh, you know, like the Jenny Lewis record and all that recently. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, so what we might do is, you know, we've started talking about the recording 
session of Mother, which is the start of the sessions. Uh, but we might actually walk through the songs in the order that they appear on the album. Yep. And uh, maybe come back and talk about a couple of key dates as we as we go along during those uh, sessions. So the second track on the album is uh, Hold On. Um, yeah. And it's sort of a, you know, if you're listening to the album, it's a bit of a gear shift after the very intense opening of um, uh, Mother that you get Hold On as your as your second track. Well, if you th- if you think about the, the, the placement of that song, this is a song that was done right at the end of the... Um... The, the 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 recording session yeah um there was a very rough mix done mm-hmm. uh, that john took away to sort of listen to and then come back and do more work and he decided he liked the rough mix and that was good enough and he he just went with that so um originally it was intended to have some more work done and as you say the placement is obviously after that cathartic ending to 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 mother then this is a sort of comforting song this is mm. a hold on you know everything is going to be all right it, it's it it uh this is sort of the way forward where he's saying okay i've got rid of that it's it's the two of us now yeah and so yeah they end up with take 32 which is the final take and that's the one that gets used on the record and he has this sort of ablibbed cookie moment <laughs> yes which is i i kind of feel that the album you know it's very uh, not claustrophobic, but it's certainly its own world, its own environment. And there's two kind of little windows in the album. And one of them is that moment where he says, cookie, which is just so... <laughs> Did he say cookie? It's a complete non sequitur in the yeah. context of the song. It means it. You, what? It, 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 it appears to mean nothing yeah but but you're going to tell us where it came from well it says it comes from sesame street and i know that's the legend that the cookie monster was on sesame street (laughs) i i i i I thought i sometimes wonder though because sesame street only started in 1969 yep and you know the cookie monster because i went off to read about the cookie monster um you know he was on sesame street from the start but he hadn't become you know, he hadn't been doing his C's for cookie stuff or any of that kind of stuff. So <laughs> considering he, I guess he could have caught Sesame Street while he was in the States in the summer of 1970. Well, this is, this is, this is what they say that, you know, you know, oh, he must have seen Sesame Street. This is a link to sort of, you know, his regression to childhood. He's watching kids TV. <laughs> this is that, you know, it's, it, it's, I don't know. I, li- I like to think he was sitting watching, um, uh, Sesame Street. I think that's a very good explanation. There is another song that uses the same. Yes, and I hadn't noticed this. Go on. Yeah. Um, so the B side to uh, uh, Ringo's song "It Don't Come Easy" that is that early nineteen seventy, and when he's singing the verse about John and uh, Yoko, he he uses the same uh, cookie. Uh, reference in the same tone of voice so it's clearly a nod to that song if nothing else yeah um yeah so go go listen to Ringo's uh cookie cover version but uh, there, there there are lots of different versions of this as yeah, you said, yeah. there, there are 32 takes so we've got you know uh fast versions slow versions different drum patterns different lyric changes there's a kind of bluesy version on that uh, anthology box set so there's a lot of material here you know there's a comparatively simple sounding song 
32 takes, tried yeah. out in different versions, different variations. We, 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 we want to hear that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of instructive because I think, you know, Plastic Ono Band, uh, the album sort of has this notion of, you know, oh, it's very uncluttered and it's very plain. And mm. I think that's often thought of over the years as being, well, it wasn't really thought out. He just went in and got the songs down. But yeah. that's not true. These things are definitely thought out, planned, rehearsed, changed. I mean, you know, they're efficient and John and Ringo know how to make an efficient record. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's definitely not... Um, you know, oh, I just have to get this out of my system. He's it's, definitely playing with the form. Yes, it's not. It's not. It's not a casual approach to this. Um, what you can say is that they are not embellished in any way. So you might, if this was a Beatles recording, you make that basic recording, and then you think, do I add an orchestra? Do I add? Do I get Paul in to play a recorder on this? Do I, uh, you know, get George to do a slide part? You 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 start to embellish. These are the basic takes. Yeah that in a Beatles album, George Martin would be doing a bit of arranging or doing overdubbing and you would be building up. These are the basic tracks that would provide the building block Yes, for a Beatles record. Yeah. Um, so next track then is I Found Out. And that's, uh, I like I Found Out. I think, you know, we talk about Ringo there. That's got a good kind of motoric kind of it's uh, it's got a groove kind of drum yeah it's it's got a good groove yeah 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 um this 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 is one of my favorite songs i have to say um so the 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 thing about this is where he says uh he talks about carl wolf right uh you know which seems to be an explanation to say i want this to be a mix of howling wolf and and carl perkins um and he's ad-libbing on some carl perkins song so this is this is a great song and uh, john doesn't often get credit or doesn't get enough credit for his guitar work yeah um, and there's some absolutely great basic driving guitar work on this um, and there's there's a the original session for I found out or one of the sessions for I found out leads us to all these oldies that were recorded, which is odd. That's uh, yes. We should they, probably talk about John's ninth and tenth of October, which were weird to say the least. Yes. So this is this is slap bang in the middle of the uh, of of the recording session, and of course, the ninth uh, of October is his birthday. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, you kind of think it's his thirtieth birthday, so that's a significant date. He's an old man. What had we all done by our thirtieth <laughs> birthdays? I wonder. You know, well, John is, yeah. you know, letting it uh, letting it all go, and you know. 1960, he's in the Kaiser Keller. 1980, he's, uh, you know, he's given interviews in the Dakota. Um, but in 1970, he's recording the album. But his 30th birthday is not a happy occasion. No, his birthday, his birthday starts, you know, you imagine he kind of wakes up, has breakfast in bed. Yoko brings him, you know, a boiled egg with a little birthday candle in it, something like that. But yes. then uh, he's, <laughs> has inv- he's invited his dad uh, to come and visit him at uh, Tittenhurst. Yeah. Um, so, so and this Fred, is the last time he ever sees his dad. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so this is Alf or Freddie uh, Lennon turns up with his uh, lovely young wife, Pauline, and uh, their son, uh, David Henry Lennon. And this is the first time that John is meeting his half-brother. Yeah. And John... 
is a bit um uh, yeah i uh, that's that sums it up i think yeah <laughs> i think you can say this this is not a success this is not a happy a happy reunion well it seems to be that this is a and maybe understandably as we said he he never finished the primal therapy that whatever happens sets john off on an absolute tirade to the point that alf lennon fears for his life essentially john just kind of lets rip Yes, yes, absolutely. So, according to uh, you know, now bear in mind, it, this is this is Alf Lennon's, uh, uh, Freddie Lennon's uh, uh, take on this. But he's saying, you know, at one point, John is saying, you know, I will have you killed, mm. uh, and and his father seems genuinely, as you say, to be um, uh, in fear for his life. So he his, he's saying that, you know, John launches into an account of his visit to America, um, his voice you know, rises into a, a, a scream. He starts talking about uh, his relationship with his mother. Mm. He said he, he reviled his mother in unspeakable terms, referring also to his aunt that had brought him up in similar derogatory terms, as well as one or two of his closest friends. So I wonder who <laughs> those friends would be. Um, and uh, so he said, um, he, he said, I, he would kill me. Uh, I would be carried out to sea and dumped uh, <laughs> 20, 50, or perhaps you would fare 100 fathoms deep. So he was so petrified by this that he writes a letter and leaves it with his solicitor. So it's yeah. like one of those, if something happens to me, give this letter to the authorities. You know, yeah. he seems genuinely, uh, but you've got to kind of wonder what was John thinking what was his intention in inviting him? Did, did he invite him with the idea, you know, yeah, this could be a great family uh, yeah. sort of reunion or reconciliation. He's meeting his half-brother for the first time. And then under the influence of primal therapy, it when he sees his father, it all just kind of bubbles up. Or it, it's it's hard to think he kind of set it up. It is. I mean, it's 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 like, you know, uh, it's it's very sad, really. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, Alf's statement is kind of hard to read, you know, where he says, yeah. John's whole tirade was uttered with malignant glee, as though he was actually participating in the terrible deed. Um, yeah, it's, it's all a bit miserable. But then when Alf is kind of shouted yes. and berated off the Tittenhurst estate, John and Yoko go back into the studio and hang out with all their pals. Yes, yes. So, so, so by 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 mid afternoon after lunch, they're back in the studio. Ringo's there. Uh, George is there. Mal Evans is there. Some cake is there. Um, Important. And, and they're having a birthday. And uh, Donovan couldn't make it, yes. unfortunately. But uh, he sends a taped message. He, yes, he he he's the first person to ever send a taped message to a birthday party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but, yeah, so does Nina Simone. Apparently, uh, yes. message. Yep. And weirdly, weird. yeah, this is weird. Janice Joplin. Yeah. So on the 9th of October, Janice Joplin sends a taped birthday message to John Lennon. And but the problem she, with that is? She had died on the 4th of October. So yeah. between recording the message and it, it reaching um, John, she had, uh, she had passed away. That is very bleak. Um, uh, and George arrives in a Ferrari, which is nice. Well, uh, how else would George <laughs> arrive? Nice so, motor. 
<laughs> nice, nice motor. So um, the, 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 yes, George arrives and there's an, there's an engineer, Andy Stevens, who was working there. And he said he had, George had a Ferrari 330 GTC, dark blue with a cream interior for those like Paul who are keen on these <laughs> things. Um, and he said that they had a, <laughs> the, the, the sort of beautiful car with a little tacky plastic flower in a holder on the windscreen which he then gives to John as a birthday present. But this is, this is if you've got All Things Must Pass, uh, George has recorded... It's Johnny's birthday. It's Johnny's birthday. Yeah. And, and he plays that, uh, you know. And Yoko got him a sensory box. Yeah. That, that's, that's very kind of late 60s. That yeah. seems a little dated by 1970. Um, so it's described by Andy Stevens as twice the size of a shoebox with lots of holes in it. You had to put your finger in it and one, horm- one hole would be warm and mushy. One would be wet. One would have a pin in it. John had a ball with this present. I don't um, want that for my birthday. Please don't get me that. For what's my interesting is obviously Paul is missing and uh, maybe it's not that interesting or it's not that uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that Paul is missing, but it is, you know, it does give you this notion of you know how silence becomes a vacuum in a de- deteriorating friendship mm. how you know who who would have known if there was mobile phones in 1970 if a little birthday text wouldn't have uh, broken the ice you know a little a little whatsapp group well it was like that brief moment in time when david crosby and uh, roger mcguinn were tweeting each other until yes uh, until, until it all went wrong blocked them. <laughs> which is very very sad uh, we, we, we were all hoping for a birds reunion yeah it didn't happen um and phil specter also arrives so they get phil, phil has seen the ad in the paper and arrives i'd yes. never want to turn down a bit of cake he yeah. rocks up um and then yeah the, the following day is then what i was saying is that uh, day of i found out where they're doing on the 10th of october all these kind of um rock and roll oldies john's kind of stalwart tunes and we've never heard any of these no uh I, i've certainly never heard uh the, these bootlegs i'm sure someone out there can can enlighten us and and send us copies of these uh breaking them so all in a limited way in a limited and specific way <laughs> so uh they do that's all right mama glad all over honey don't don't be cruel hound dog matchbox so so this, this is john um ringo and klaus just jamming on some oldies you yeah. we want to hear this we, we want, want to hear this that. absolutely if yoko's listening you know she is get the box set out um so going back to the album running order next up we have working class hero which i i i i, I don't know i'm not a total working class hero you're not a fan fan you know no do you oh. not think it's a bit it hasn't aged well, well maybe yeah i think it i think it hasn't aged well um it's it's uh, the the interesting thing about the recording is it's two takes spliced together yeah um, a bit like strawberry fields i'm not gonna tell you where the join is there's a prize if people can <laughs> uh, can spot the join um no it's 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 sort of become a cliche you know i don't know if working class hero was a phrase that was a cliche in 1970, but or whether this song made it a cliche. That's a good point. I don't know, actually. Um, you, you know, and there's, there's a lot of criticism about, you know, he wasn't working class. He was he was the most middle class of the of the band and he's sort of re, rewriting history. And uh, in 1980, he makes a comment where he said, oh, nobody ever got that song right. It was sardonic. It wasn't anything to do with socialism. It was to do with if you want to go through that trip, you'll get to where I am. This is what you'll end up. 
I've been successful as an artist and that made me happy and unhappy. I've been unknown. I was happy and unhappy. But what Yoko's taught me is the real success Mm -hmm. uh, is my relationship with her and the child. Yeah. My relationship with the world. Um, It's nothing to do with rock or the rock machinery. So my reading of that is perhaps he was slightly distancing himself where he was trying to put a different spin he certainly is trying to put a spin on it to sort of say i think almost what he was trying to say was he he, you know if you're being kind you can say look he's not saying he's working class but he's saying that people are stamping him as a working class hero Mm. irrespective of that i mean what's interesting when you when you 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 know look at that rolling stone interview from 1980 is you know just how much he had in common with paul at the end of the day you know yeah you know it's it's really fascinating that they John and Paul got married at the same time, that they're finding their feet in their marriages at the same time. And they're both sort of creating a form of art that says, I just want to be me with my wife at the minute and I'm just going to do it my way. And, you know, they even had, they were, they were doing the same thing, essentially. The, 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 the thing that had never, I mean, literally this has just occurred to me as you're saying that, is that the, the, the women that they married each had a daughter. Yes. So, so they 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 each were sort of uh, becoming stepdad uh, to 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 their partner's child, and um, you you've got to think if if that relationship with Yoko's daughter had been different, and that the daughter had been Kyoko had been present and had been part of their lives, and if you know we we, we talked about Yoko sort of suffering these series of miscarriages, and yeah. you think well if 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 John had had the sort of more stable family unit that Paul yeah. had had um, in, in, in 69, 70, 71, would, would, would they have got to that 1980 point more quickly? Would they have sort of suddenly recognized these points of, of, of similarity, these things in common? Yeah, it's hard to know. Um, next up on the album is Isolation, which is kind of a, a song for our times. <laughs> I I love this song. Yeah. I, I think this is this is just a fantastic song. I, I, I think you're right. You know, I think it gets the balance right between that kind of thing we were talking about earlier on in terms of what's specific and what's universal. And uh, it does have a universality to it, you know. Yes, I mean, I, I, I think that's exactly it. Uh, you know, he's singing, uh, initially he's singing very much, you, you know, about his own personal experience, and then he's, he kind of opens that up. And uh, this, this, is a, this is one of my top five solo Lennon yeah. songs, I think. And uh, Paul DeNoyer kind of says the, the same thing. It transcends the well-worn, lonely at the top trap by generalizing the emotions that many people feel at times. And it's it's a song that's been covered. And at le- I think it's a, it's a good song to cover because it's, you know, maybe a lesser known Lennon song than some of the bigger hits. Yeah. So Harry Nilsson uh, yeah. re- recorded it. But my favorite cover version uh, is by Marianne Faithful. Uh, you yeah. can pick that up on A Perfect Stranger, the Island Anthology. I'd never, I'd, I don't know if this had come out before or whether it was recorded for that record, but Marianne Faithful's cover is superb. Yeah. And so that gets us um, to the end of side one, if you're playing, uh, if you're playing the album on vinyl. Side two then opens with Remember. Now, I love Remember. Uh, and what comes after remember <laughs> you don't like remember i don't i i, I uh, 
No, I, I don't. I think <laughs> I, I, I think this is probably the sort of slightest song on the album. It's yeah. the one I like like least. Yeah. Um. Uh. But tell me why you like it so much. Well, no, I like. Well, first of all, I, I said earlier on that you know when John says "cookie," it's a little window in the album. It's a little moment of you know. Of, of amusement levity yeah, le- yeah and i think remember is right in the middle of the album it's got this kind of rock and vibe it does sound uh, although he didn't know this at the time it sounds like one of my favorite bands spoon with this kind of rollicking piano uh part to it but the second window on the album that's kind of silly and stupid is the explosion noise at the end of the the song you know which is just a uh, joke yeah <laughs> and you remember know, remember the f- the fifth, fifth of November. November, bang. bang. I mean, yeah, but this is because it wasn't. It's a song that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, um, but it's got so a good think, Ringo. It's like thank God for Ringo, because well, Ringo, Ringo is just giving it sticks and Ringo, just keeping yeah. that rock. And like if Ringo wasn't there, you'd be bored. Ringo Ring, is Ringo saves the song. Yes, Ringo. The only reason I can listen to the song is 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 the drumming. Um, and this this I think is the song that started out as that coda. Yeah. To to something. Yes. And yeah, if you listen to something, it has, uh, yeah, it does uh, It does have that same kind of progression, that kind of code of something. Yeah. So for a long time in all of the versions of something as they're working through that, there's this, just this Lennon banging away on the chords. But the interesting thing about that is Paul's bass line. Mm-hmm. On, on the Coda version, which is, uh, you know, we talked about it, it being a sort of fussy, Paul, slightly showy. Paul, I think, recognizes this is a dull, dull chord <laughs> progression. And, and he's really doing his very best to to kind of liven up, uh, liven up what's happening. Yeah. Um, so we're 50-50 split on, on, uh, on Remember. So that leads us to the next track, which is Love. And that's a very straightforward kind of song. It was almost potentially a single. It certainly got a lot of airplay and attention at the time. Isn't that right? Yes, it did. I mean, this is uh, the, the track on which Phil Spector is playing piano. Right. Um, this is a song that, I mean, it's got that very long fade in yeah. Uh, it kind of irritates me a little bit. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, but, but, well, well, what I mean is it, it, it's, it's, it's twee, is it? It's, it's a little of... bit, I think it's a little bit twee. Um, yeah. and it's the one song that I think, uh, maybe doesn't sit comfortably in, in, in the context of the album. I think it's a bit of a throwback. I, I, I know he's maybe talking about, you know, his love for Yoko and it's, you know, just Yoko and me and that ties in with Hold On and all mm. the rest of it. But I just, I, I, I think the sentiment is a little bit twee. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, it, it, it did um, eventually appear on the, the, the first uh, posthumous collection, the John Lennon collection in 1982, and it got some attention there. I, I think, you know, it's one of these, again, the album kind of has light and shade on it. And, you mm. know, the fact that it's there makes you a little less worried for John, maybe, than some of the other songs. I think so. I mean, they re, they, they remixed it, didn't they? They, they sort of yeah. took the fade, they took that long fade out for, for the 82 compilation and there was a kind of tie-in promotional single. So, I mean, I if, uh, yeah. <laughs> <It's> not- <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all I have to say. Is, yes. Is, is well. it the one you skip? Because I think the next track, Well, 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 might be the track that I tend to skip. 
I'm not. Oh really sure. no, I like this song. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Go uh, on, then. This, this is well. This is this is just another one of those kind of driving um, uh, rock tracks. Yeah. Uh, you know, I no, the, I, mean, I think he did this live in New York uh, as well. Um, why don't you like this song? This is a great rock and roll. Yeah, this I is, this is it, it's 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 listening to this kind of stuff that makes me want to hear the outtakes that wants to hear them kind of jamming in the studio and that is true you know you kind of get a you know it does have that sense of the band in action you know yeah and yeah. uh you know the fact that so much of this was cut live and that there's so much on the floor does make you worry i, I don't know i guess uh maybe maybe it's just to do with some of the other surrounding tracks that makes me uh makes this, it this not my number one moment on the this album. this this makes me fear for my episode suggestion of the importance of the word well oh. in john john lennon's career go on then well, let well, me just you, you i'll just leave that there for people to think how hmm. frequently he 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 sings that word as a oh. kind of okay. you know i'm thinking think of rock and roll album yes yeah yeah. you know i mean that that that, that word he just uh, yeah i i, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna work out the notes for that episode you know a few years ago i noticed that elvis costello regularly sings about clowns and windows and uh birds and once you notice that it they pop up in his lyrics all the time clowns yeah. windows and birds that's another side project that uh it's, there's a podcast in that you know? well it's like it's uh george harrison is the only person i've ever heard sing the phrase nervous system <laughs> and and he does that several times on several several different songs he's obsessed and with his nervous system his nervous system uh track nine then is look at me and this now this is a kind of a i think love you could say is a bit of a beatles song but look at me is a song that was in the beatles ether wasn't it Definitely, definitely. Uh, this was written uh, around the White Album time. So this is the song where we can say that it's the uh, Donovan. Donovan. Uh, Donovan Don- is present Donovan. on Plastic on Donovan is present. He, he apparently uh, taught uh, the Beatles that finger-picking Amazing. guitar pattern. Fantastic. I mean, again, doesn't like to talk about but it. It's but it's cut from the same cloth as Dear Prudence and Julia and all those songs as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, can, you can hear that, yeah. And um, uh, there is an outtake on it, which, uh, again, this 98 anthology, which is an odd box set, the, the John Lennon anthology box set. Yeah, I, again, I think that was a missed opportunity. You know, yeah. it doesn't, it, 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 it's sort of not one thing and it's not the other thing. It doesn't really flow. It, it, it gives you little insights into things that you think, yes, that's very nice, but I'd like to hear what happened after that. I'd like to hear the next yeah. track or the next version or I mean you can track the history of box sets by looking at John Lennon box sets you know you have that kind of 1990 <laughs> yeah. box set which is like a glorified greatest hits you have the 98 anthology box set which is you know alternate cuts and then eventually we get into you know album box sets with the Imagine box set so hopefully we'll yeah. get more uh, uh, album based box sets but there's a look at me I remember it's used in um, the Royal Tannenbaums that movie there's a the, oh yes of that, course that anthology, I forgot, yeah. that anthology <clears throat> version is on that soundtrack and it's used in, in that yeah. movie and it's really uh, uh, striking this is the uh, th- this where he has double track vocals and he speaks to himself at the beginning of the song yes he does he says you okay yes thank you you know that that, that, that again this, uh, you were saying this little Moments of levity uh, here, so. But speaking of moments of levity, let's go to the big closer, sort of, uh, which is the track God. And he's, in the same way that 
mother opens the album and you know maybe throws you for a loop mm. putting god at the end is making another very specific statement they are two very specific bookends yes yes um and again i i in the context of what we said earlier about you know you do the first part of primal therapy and then you need to kind of build yourself back up again you you, you could see this as part of him tearing down the sort of you know, uh, graven images that the, the kind of these great cultural mm. kind of touchstones and that 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 he's rejecting, and and then he's just saying, well, it's it's just me and Yoko, just the two of us. That's that's what replaces all of that, and I think that's the sort of uh, the inadequacy of the exercise that he went through. Um, but this must have been a sort of profoundly shocking uh, uh, thing in 1970 for a Beatles fan. Yeah, I think, you know, you take a song like God and perhaps after 50 years, we haven't realized how striking it is. It actually, mm-hmm. it actually says something that hasn't really been said before, that we haven't heard before. And I'm not just talking about the I don't believe in Beatles bit. I, I basically mean that, you know, in 1970, when songwriting is getting very kind of personal and confessional, you know, uh, for him to kind of sing, you know, God is a concept by which we measure our pain. You're like, wait, what? You know? Yes. And we also, you know, we also talk about, hey, isn't it amazing how they got from, you know, I feel fine to strawberry fields in two or three years. But it's also kind of amazing that they get from, you know, revolution or hey, Jude to something as it's quite a trip, God, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. And I mean, Janov remarks on this and, and sort of saying, you know, he can take this, this idea that he just came out with this notion, you know, what, what do you believe in God? And people who have been through these terrible things tend to believe in God to cling to. And then it goes, oh, you mean God is a concept by which we measure our pain? And Janov said, bang, there you go. I, yeah, I, it's I, frightening I, I, that I, it's actually... His thought. It's not a yes. thought that he has lifted or taken from somewhere else. It's it, his it, own conclusion. Exactly. I must admit, I always assumed that this was something he had heard or read or just had come across in some fashion and then he had repurposed it for this. But this, this according to Janov's recounting of the, the conversation, this seems to be um a, a, a an original sort of response and it's a very striking as you said it's a very striking phrase yeah and so he starts writing the song when he's in janoff therapy in bel-air in the middle yeah. of the summer and he's kind of skirting around where it leads to you know and it's a song of two halves you know there's the kind it, of the the introductory god part and then there's his declarations for the second yeah half. yeah um so there are early versions of this where he's uh, recording demos that that came out in 2004 on the acoustic album where there's a sort of guitar version um but really nothing approaches the sort of i don't know is it grandeur or the the sort of impact mm. of of what it's billy preston and i playing the piano and there is this kind of sort of gospel-y feel which there's a sort of irony there but but that's obviously what he was going for um uh, with Billy Billy Preston delivering this this piano. Well, again, it leads to this notion that this album, although it was fast and efficient, it wasn't slapdash. And the notion of Bill, bringing Billy Preston in to play, you know, after an album where 
John has played most of the piano in his rudimentary, straightforward style, that to know that actually, no, what this song needs is Billy Preston delivering yeah. a very spiritual type of piano line. Um, yes. Goes to show that this is considered and thought out and you know it is a produced record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you say, it, it's a perfect sort of book ending. Yeah. Um, from, from the, it, it's a sort of, the, the sort of final section, there's a sort of resolution there. Yes. You know, um, it, but this, this, the other aspect of this is, you know, the dream is over. Mm. So and, you were saying there are, there's sort of sections to this song and statements. So the big kind of statements that really set you back on your heels as a Beatles fan in, 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 in 1970 are, I, I don't believe in Beatles, but then the dream is over. Yes, and that's probably a heavier statement than not believing in Beatles because, yeah. you know, you can almost say, oh, of course, John Lennon is saying that, look at him go. But he's actually building on that to say, you know, uh, we're done. There's there's other stuff to do. That's it. And I mean, this, this to my way of thinking, ties in w- w- with where we started this podcast, where we were talking about the, the sort of the the year year one for peace so they they're starting in january 1970 they're still very much on this peace kick there's a sort of idealism there um uh, but by the end of the year when this comes out he's saying very explicitly it's over the dream is over um and he makes the point in in the rolling stone interview i'm not just talking about the beatles is over i'm talking about the generation thing the dream is over and i personally I've, I've got to get down to so-called reality. So it's this, he has become literally the man of the decade. You know, he's a war, he's kind of awarded this accolade uh, 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 at the end of, of the sixties and he's stepping back. He's saying, yeah. look, look, it's over. Yeah. Uh, we, we, it's, it's almost a kind of, we tried and we failed. Um, it I is mean, interesting, it, like at that at that time, you know, there was still this notion that rock music was going to find the path forward. And I'm thinking of the very self-righteous Pete Townsend type stuff that he's going, where yeah. he really thought he was going to levitate the audience into the future and we were all going to find the meaning of life. But Lennon is probably the first person to pull the plug on all of that. I, I think so. I mean, certainly the most high profile, you know, in America, you've got, you know, Crosby, Sills and Nash in 69, that, that, that debut album mm. is, has come out. That's, that's kind of absolutely just tapping into the, the kind of the politics, the personal, uh, you know, 69 tipping into 1970, the whole mood is changing. And yes, John Lennon is the first one really to say, look, didn't work. Yeah. You know, um, and, and what follows that, interestingly, uh, from from Lennon's personal point of view, is this suddenly he's into sloganeering and he's mm. into very sort of in your face political statements. So he's he's it, it, it's the sort of all you need is love dream is over is the way I, I interpret that. Mm. And then suddenly it's into direct action and marching in the streets. And yeah being himself the other amazing thing about the song uh god is of course once again we're back on ringo and ringo's drum fills yes after each i don't believe in uh which he recounts again in the documentary we mentioned earlier on how he does a different drum fill each time and even if you go into the alternate versions that we know are out there the drum fills are different each time 
Yeah. And it's so, extraordinary. He says whenever he's doing a drum fill, whether it's like a day in the life or whatever it is, he has to feel it in the moment. That's what he says. Yes. Uh, again, we're just back to this point that the drumming on this album is sensational. Yeah. And it, it's this notion that Ringo brings from the Beatles about everything is in the service of the song. Well, Ringo says it in that documentary. He says, uh, the track is what we're playing for. That's what he says yeah. at one point. Uh, I think he's talking about I Found Out. And he says, you know, that's he's there to serve the track. That is the Ringo mantra. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on God, it's very, very apparent. Yes, I mean, he's he's doing something technically very interesting, but he's not showboating in any way. Yeah. Um, and I suppose if you think about it, it you, you, you do just have this repetitive, uh, slightly gospel style, in, in, but it's never boring. If it's never, and the drumming is part of that, but that's, but, but you don't instinctively think what's making this interesting is the drumming. Mm. But if you take the drumming out, it is a very sort of dirgy, re- dirgy repetitive, uh, sort of list. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so go back and listen to God. It's really unlike anything else. The first time I heard God was um, uh, as a teenager, I went off to see um, the Imagine John Lennon documentary in 1988. And it uses the song God very powerfully in that I'd never heard the song before. And they're doing a montage and it basically comes to, I don't believe in Beatles. And I was like, what did he say? Yes, oh my yes. God. And it's, I was, I was uh, shocked. I had, I had the same thing. The first time I ever heard this album was on cassette. Yeah. And it was the younger brother of a friend of mine who was a Beatles fan. And he said to me, listen to this song, listen to what he says, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have a feeling in my head that the cassette has a slightly different running order. Um, uh, but but that was a shock. And this was sort of in 79, maybe. Yeah. I was listening to this and, you know, I had no way of knowing what this album was or, the, you know, the internet didn't exist fire was a new thing um, <laughs> and uh it was it was a complete shock it was a complete shock because yeah. i was still still in 79 clinging to this notion they're going to get back together again and, there is and, a lovely notion where uh, i think on the 74 episode we talked about how john did a bunch of radio shows where he did a bunch of djing towards the end of 74 yeah and he was like he's introducing records and he's spinning them and on one of the radio shows he plays a beatles record and he comes out of it and he goes there they are and i still believe in them Nah. And it's really sweet. And you're like, oh, it's like a little message to the rest of us, you know? He's back. He's back. He's back. Um, I mean, the album would be a great album if it ended on God. It, it ends with the 52nd fragment of My Mummy's Dead, which is a kind of a mono recording from before the sessions, basically. It's, it's the yes, only part of the album is- that's recorded in America. This is this is him just recording vocals, electric guitar. It's mono recording. It was done just as a as, as a demo. And does a it little... need to be there? Like, it, it'd be better as a hidden track, or would it be better as a? It's. I, uh, I don't know. I, I I think of it as a sort of Her Majesty yes, sort of yeah. little fragment. I, I mean, I, I suppose there is a the, the, there is a resolution to God. Mm. The way it ends, and then suddenly this this j- jarring. I mean, it's it's a it's a you know three blind mice yeah. melody, and it's this suddenly very jarring uh, brings you right back to the start. And maybe the idea is, uh, you know, you just then start listening to the album 
again? I don't know. I mean, my my my, my own sense would be yes. Sort of conceptually, it might have been better to not have that there or to put it at the end of the first side um, and actually have God as the sort of a day in the life or the end, the big closer, and there's a sense of resolution to it. Yeah. But but it leaves you with the sense that all this has been for nothing, all this therapy, all this, you know. Well, maybe uh, that is the point that, it, that, that you know, uh, even after 40 minutes of him explaining all of this stuff, it just comes back to yeah. that feeling that he gets from therapy, that that is the thing that... that uh, that he cannot fix. That's quite depressing. Sorry to be depressing, um, but it is a it is a it is a great record. So they record the album, uh, as we say, between the twenty sixth of September and then they have a working acetate cut of the album on the thirtieth of October, uh, and the album eventually comes out in December on the eleventh of December. In in the meantime, John and Yoko go off to New York. Uh, they they go to Abco where they meet May Pang for the first time. Yes. So there's there's another chapter opening. It's a foreshadowing, yeah. Yeah. And in between, you know, the album being finished and the album coming out, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, John does this big, famous Rolling Stone interview that comes out at the start of 71. So, you know, he's really finishing off 1970 as, um, you know, clearing the decks of everything he wants to say. Yeah, I mean, he's still again, and this is this is my point for all of that therapy. You know, you, he he gets all of this out on the album, and then he gives the Rolling Stone interview. He's still clearly an incredibly angry mm. man, a, a kind of troubled individual at that stage. He's he's you, you know, you you don't get a sense that this has brought him closure. Yeah. Uh, and the album goes top ten in the UK and in the states. Number eight in the UK, number six in the states, and it's. It's kind of lasted the distance, you know. I uh, I, th- I still feel it has a, 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 you know, I think some people kind of think maybe Imagine is his debut album, you know, that it, it yeah. in the general popular consciousness that, you know, it's, 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 it still feels a little bit of a secret record in a way. I think, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I, the, you know, there isn't a hit single. It's not mm. got a sort of commercial heft to it. It's not a pop. It, 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 it doesn't sit in the sort of timeline. So if you, you could uh, sort of sonically could uh, move from Abbey Road to Imagine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it doesn't sit with with uh, McCartney. It doesn't sit with uh, All Things Must Pass. It's a, it's a separate thing. Plus, there's the language, Jason. There's the language. Well, yes, and I didn't really want to mention it, but there is language and <laughs> on the on the sleeve. Uh, on several, EMI's... several, several tracks, Jason. There's <laughs> language on several tracks. <laughs> well, he uses he, he uses all the vernacular, but that was a big deal at the time. That had to be it, stated on the sleeve that EMI wouldn't let him print the F word on the sleeve. Yeah. EMI insisted that the lyrics which are on the inner sleeve were censored and he made a point of saying at the request of EMI. Yes. Um, But uh, you know about the Australian version of this album? Oh, there's another change, isn't there? What's that? On the Australian version, because they're sensitive types in Australia, not keen keen on language, (laughs) there is a version of of, uh, Working Class Hero in which they, that the, doesn't appear at all it's just edited out yes well yes, they, they kind well, of just revamp they take the whole line and, and rejig the whole thing it's oh it's a God. masterpiece of uh editing um there have been reissues and things over the year but ge- generally the bonus tracks they stick on the cd aren't very good i'm not a fan of the oz tracks or any of that kind of stuff to be honest no i mean i think this is one of the you know it's like 
Sergeant Pepper. This is an album that sort of, uh, uh, you know, it's a conceptual piece. It, it doesn't need anything stuck on. Uh, they're not very good tracks. Uh, and they, if Yoko's listening, they completely ruined uh, the remaster uh, edition, you know. Oh, did? Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Well, so, listen, all the more reason. Uh, if she's listening, to sort out that box set. Yes. and uh, Perhaps you know, perhaps she'd like to come on to the podcast. And, perhaps and she would. Have a chat. We, we would love that. So what do you all think, folks? John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band, the first album from John Lennon, 50th anniversary uh, in 2020. Um, it stands the test of time. It's an extraordinary first statement. And, you know, we've covered a lot of ground today, but it is interesting how things like therapy and yoga and vegetarianism, all these kind of things that are part and parcel of life these days, we're all, you know, ciphered in by uh, by the fabs themselves back in the yep. day. That as unusual as they might have seemed at the time, you know, we don't kind of uh, think a second thought about these things these days, really. No, no. Yeah. We're, so I mean, we're, we're, we're going to leave you now and go off and get some therapy. <laughs> yes. Well, don't forget, John doesn't believe in yoga. He really sticks it to yoga. Oh, right. Um, but what do you think, folks? As again, once again, we hope we've uh, sent you uh, back to the shelves to pull down and blow the dust off your copy of John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. Um, but let us know in the usual places. We remain on Twitter at Beatles Pod, where we have the private Facebook group, uh, which Stephen runs. So you can ask to join the Facebook group there. And uh, wherever you download... Uh, your podcasts if you want to leave a nice word we're always appreciative for uh, everything that everyone has said so far uh, but for now my name's Jason Carty my name's Stephen Cockcroft and this has been Nothing Is Real thanks for listening Nothing Is Real is powered by Acast Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.